it it just it speaks to the what do I want to say the confusion and the darkness of the mind of Adam and the carnal mind, right? That the the create created thinks that it knows about the creation in a way that only the creator would know. So in, there's a high bar to meet to be able to even come to a conclusion like we want to come to about weather and climate. And I, you want to know what the bar is before you can even come and start speaking intelligently about it? You got to be the one who made the earth. <laughs> <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's right. And that don't mean to be afraid of the Lord. What that means is, is you realize that you don't know nothing. And the moment you think you do know something, based on your own intellectualism or your own uh, acumen, then that you're outside of wisdom. And you're now in what's called foolishness in the Bible, or confusion, or arrogance, or pride, or, or any of those kinds of uh, things. And so, should you, should you have a thought about these things, it's fine to have a thought, right? God gave us the ability to reason, the ability to think, yeah. the ability to observe, right? But he gave us all those things so that we could engage with him, right? With all those things. And that we could... Now have, start have this conversation with him, and we could have our thoughts influenced and shaped by him, because he's the creator, and we're the created being. So, if you're not getting your your wisdom or your information or your thoughts from God, that's the first inclination that you don't really know what you're talking about, <laughs> right? Does that make sense? So, Annette, did you want to talk about Jonah? No, not right. I really didn't think about it more after that. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I thought you were already in it. No, I was, but I was just curious as to what you you thought about it. Yeah, well, I, I didn't really have any time to like think about it because I was off trying to do all the accounting for the previous year and then, you know, yes. deal with everything else. Well, we'll but wait for another time. We'll wait for another time. Glory yeah. to God. So what do y'all want to talk about? One of these days, somebody's going to come prepared for that, you know, for that question. I loved it last week when he said, I already know what I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm always thinking about stuff. I know you are. Yeah. I just, you know, sometimes I want to give space for what other people are thinking about and wrestling with to, to bring it up. One of the reasons why is I, I can interject so many thoughts that you could bring forth thoughts in you. And you're not meant to just go off and be confused with those thoughts. You're meant to have the, the space to bring up the thoughts you might be confused about. What exactly does this mean? What did you mean by that? Right? It sounds like this. Is that what you're talking about? That kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I like what you... Forgive me. I like what you said uh, about a month and a half ago. And it was only one sentence. But it was like in this group. And, but it was revolutionary. It was entirely upside down. Okay, in a good way, in a magnificent way. So we think of, you know, like the resurrection, but there's a series, I think you on Hulu. All kinds of people have been clinically dead and come back and, 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 and whatever. Uh, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But the sentence you had said, just one sentence, is like, the, well, the, the, the magnificent miracle of all time, never done before and never done since, is he went to the grave and destroyed death, 
past, present, and future. And I thought that was magnificent because the sign of Jonah, of course, was not when Jonah was spit out. Jesus said the sign of Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, which aligns with the, the only thing one time done in the civilization and the history of mankind was death destroyed past, present, and future. And I thought that was like, whoa, so upside down, but so clear in its, in its, um, in its redemptive thought. And I'll just assume, but I don't want to assume, but you, you do agree that if Jesus hadn't come out of the grave, then it wouldn't have mattered that he went into it. Yes, but the elimination of death sounds pretty magnificent. No, 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 it is. Oh. It's the most oh. magnificent and thing ever. And it's like, ever. whoa, talk about, wow. It's the most magnificent that is, thing ever. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. it. It's like, wow. Um, absolutely, and, and a lot of times when I talk to people who are wrestling with whether or not they believe in God, and we've talked about this before, and the Holy Spirit, this isn't like, okay, this is now the textbook we're going to use to implement every time we encounter somebody who doesn't know if they believe in God. The Holy Spirit will quicken you. This is just an example of how the Holy Spirit quickened me. Um, but I was talking to these young gals, and they didn't know if they believed in God. And I could see that they had had many arguments with Christians. And I could see they argued about things that really weren't going to persuade them. And so I tried to sidestep the normal Christian argument with these guys, and I just posed a question to them. I asked them how many of them like death. I asked them how many of them like it when their animals die? How many of them like it when they see uh, wildfires in the earth? Or wars? Or destruction? And they were very passionate about that. Right? They were against all of that. Right? And then I asked them, well, where did that feeling come from? Why don't you like any of those things? Right? Why aren't you just indifferent? <clears throat> I mean, heck, even when we get a splinter, you get a splinter in your hand. How many of you are like, let's just leave it there? <laughs> How many of you are just like, wow, who cares? There's a splinter there. Right? And so I asked them, why aren't we all just indifferent to that kind of a thing? Why don't we just shrug our shoulders and move on? Yeah. How many of you liked it when your grandma might have passed on? Or your parents? How many of you are like, oh, glory to God? And so I asked them why we're not indifferent to death. And they stopped and thought. And I, then I asked them, did anybody have to teach you that you didn't like it? And then I brought up an example of an animal. Because we grew up in the South. There's lots of hunting in the South. All my friends came to school with shotguns. We never had a shooting in our school. But there was like... 300 shotguns out in the school parking lot. And so there was lots of hunting. I never got into it. And I don't despise people for hunting. I like deer, sausage, and deer meat. I, I eat a lot of it. It's good. I'm more of a sensitive type of a person, and I'm not trying to promote that we shouldn't hunt. Allow me the poverty of the example. It bothered me, the death of the animal. Right? Now, you can make a whole argument that the animal finds some type of satisfaction in laying down its life for you because you're eating it, right? But there was one example where I was off with my friends camping on their deer hunting land. They have several thousand acres in Mississippi and it, we would go there and hunt deer. 
and we all were on our three-wheelers. You, you could have three-wheelers back then. And uh, we all had our shotguns. Well, we came across this armadillo. And so we started chasing after this armadillo with our shotguns and the three-wheelers. And that thing was tearing off away from us. Why was it running from us? Why would it be scared? Why, though? And so that thing started running off into these trees, and it, it, it thought it found a hole to get into. But it wasn't a hole. It was a little cubby. And now it was trapped. And it couldn't go anywhere. And there was all six of us with our shotguns. That thing started squealing. And we hadn't done anything to it yet. That thing did not want to die. That thing had an inherent knowing that it's good to live. And it's not good to die. It can't think like us. But there was something intrinsically wired into it. We didn't shoot that thing because it bothered all of us. And everybody else there was a hunter. But we weren't going to eat that armadillo. Right? And in that thing squealing like that, it was like there was a camaraderie. It's just like Romans 8 talks about the groaning. All of creation groans, desiring for the manifestations of the sons of God. And it says we groan with them. You know, we're all groaning for life. We're all desiring to see life. And we all don't like death. That's why there's a groaning. We're not indifferent to death. And it was like in that moment, we were one, and I know this messes people up. I don't mean we're one with the animal. But I mean, in that moment, we were one in the sense that we were both part of creation. We both had this knowing that death isn't right. We both had this longing for life. We both had this knowing that life is good and death is evil. Right. And so even that creature wasn't indifferent to death. And so I asked them, did anybody have to teach you death is wrong? No. I said, you just knew. That's right. <laughs> we just know. And see, that, that, that's what, what, what that's called in chess is like checkmate. Right. And they didn't realize I was setting them up. Like a really wise chess player will make moves to lure you into the, the checkmate. A real wise, I don't want to say philosopher, but a person skilled in the art of argument can lure you into an argument to checkmate you. Right? Mm -hmm. And you don't know it. And so the moment I, 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 I brought up where did that come from and none of them had an answer, then I led into, well, let me tell you where it come from. It come from God. God hates death. God loves life. There's no death in God. There's only life in God. We come from God. We live and move and have our being in God. Whether you believe in God or not, you live and move and have your being in God. Sure. What that means is, is because you were created by something who only has life in himself and doesn't have death in himself, there's a part of you inherently seeking out life. There's a part of you that inherently rejects anything that's contrary to life or anything that you think is contrary to life. And that's called living and moving and having your being in God. Because there's a E.T. phone home kind of thing going on inside of you where whether you realize it or not, you're actively seeking life. In everything you do, you're doing it because you think there's goodness there. Yeah. There's life there. How many of you are doing things that you think there's badness there? <laughs> How many of you are doing things that you think, well, that's a whole bowl full of death? <laughs> How many of you wake up in the morning and let me go find some evil to be a part of? Mm. Not anymore. 
<laughs> but, even, but, but even then, Mike, the reason why you were doing it is because you thought there was good times there. Yeah. You weren't doing it because you thought suffering and pain were there. Right? And even the moment you realize the, the drugging and the drinking, even the moment it, it, it turns over from it was good times, and now all of a sudden you realize that's not good times. That's why you feel horrible that you're still doing it and you want out. Because you start to realize it's killing you. And you want out of it. Right? Mm -hmm. And so, that, that, that's a, an inherent knowing that all of us have. All of creation declares the glory of God. Right? All of creation declares God. In, in that moment. And it was like the moment I told all of them that, they were just like, hmm. They didn't have any argument. Right? And arguing with people to try to per persuade them or force them to believe in God is not fruitful. They'll feel it. They'll feel like you're trying to force something on them. That's contrary to human design also. We have an inherent knowing that it isn't right for something to be forced on us. None of us like it when somebody tries to force something on us. Even our kids, they get to be the teenage years and they start to get upset when you start telling them what they have to do. <laughs> Because they start, wait a second, this isn't right. <laughs> right? And, and so that's one of the most compelling things you can get into with people is that inherent knowing that, that death isn't right. Yeah. And the, 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 the power and the satisfaction and the glory you feel when you see God having conquered death, to Glenn's point, right? Him having entered into the death that we all know ain't right, that we all want to see removed, that we want to see destroyed. And then seeing that God himself came into our physical bodies. He entered into human flesh. And he entered into the depth of the depth that tormented us all. That we all hate. That we all want to see removed. Us, all of creation. And then he did that. He was dead dead to Glenn's point. Lots of people have come back from quote unquote diagnosed as being dead. Right? But you know what's consistent about all of them? They died again. That's right. They did. Even Lazarus. He died again, right? And so there's lots of people that, quote unquote, what they oh, somehow come back from the dead. They're there, right? But they didn't come back from the dead never to be able to die again. Only the Lord Jesus did that. And one of the reasons why he's in the depth three days and three nights is so there could be no confusion. That dude was really dead, right? He was as far into the depth that we hate that any person could be. And then he comes out, right? Boom. Now what? Right? And that changes everything. And that flipped the world upside down. And, and now you have the apostles going from being scared to even say they know Jesus. No, no, I don't know him. I was never with him. You have dudes going from that to going up into the midst of the synagogue where they're being threatened with death and straight up telling the people that are threatening them with death, you can kill me if you like. I'm not going to stop saying that the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. Right? right? Yeah. Because now death had lost its sting, which is why Paul would come and say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Right? 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 And it was like even in that moment where we let that armadillo go. And I, I, I think deeply. I, I, I'm very contemplative. I contemplate with God. I like to daydream with God. Even in that place, I don't know that any of my other friends felt this way, but in that place, I felt 
a camaraderie with that animal. That that animal could tell we're the sons of God. Right? And we let that animal go. We let that little armadillo go run off and be to himself. And I'll never forget that. I was like 12 years old when that happened. So I'm like 35 years later. And I'm still thinking of that. Right? One thing you said this morning, I had a pen to write down, I thought well, was awesome. God loves life. Yeah. So when Stephen was being stoned, we don't see him as far as death management, Debbie Downer. The, the, the feelings from the scripture is that he was like, he was immersed in real life. I mean, he was like, look at the life that God loves. He was partaking of it fully. Right. Oh. And that, that's what the Christian life is, is centered on, right? And so I understand we can say a lot of things and, and we, sometimes we can think things are meant that aren't meant. When I talk about continuously hearing the gospel, I'm not talking about continually growing in your intellectual understanding of the gospel. Although that can happen also. What I'm talking about is con continuously connecting with the one who has life. Because you're continuously wanting life every day. And every day you're encountering things, right, where you see life is needed. And every day you can feel lack by things that you could see. Every day you can think that something needs strength or something needs grace or something needs mercy or something needs comfort or something needs life, right? And the reason I talk about continuously hearing is so that we can continuously be reminded to connect to the one who has life in himself so that we're walking around in the earth continuously aware of the presence of the Father, right? Not just with us, with in ancient language has a far-reaching capacity. It doesn't mean like with in the sense that Kali is with me. It's with in the sense of being infused. So the presence of God is dwelling in us. And that means the one who has life in himself is present inside of us. We are the temple of the living God. There's a reason why it says the living God. It's because in him is life and there is no death. And there isn't any kind of a death or a corruption or a lack that can take from his life. There's nothing that can tear down the stature of God. And there's nothing that can add to the stature of God. He is that he is. And we're the temple of that God. That God made his home in us. We're the place where God found his rest. Right? When he's looking around for the place that he would feel the most comfortable, for the place where he could just feel like, ah, oh, that's nice. The dream house. We all think that's my dream house. God was also looking for a dream house when he was making creation. And you're it. That's us. And when we talk about continuously hearing the gospel, it's from the platform of understanding that we're going to encounter things continuously in this earth. And those things will try to speak to us all the time. And they'll try to give us thoughts. They'll try to suggest things to us. They'll try to shape our beliefs. They'll try to shape our views and opinions of ourselves and other people. And in that place, we're needing our hearts to be discerned by the gospel so that our hearts could be strengthened with the truth, and they can be kept from the world and the thoughts that permeate from the death that's been planted in the earth. That's why we continuously hear. It isn't so, well, I learn algebra, and then I can learn geometry. Or now that I know algebra, I can maybe learn complex chemistry. That's not what I talk about when I talk about continuously hearing. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's so that we can continuously just be hanging out with God and having our hearts discerned by God. Right? right? And that we can walk in wisdom. 
right? We're talking about the, 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 the climate change, right? Do you know that whole thing is born from the spirit of fear? Do you know that nothing wise can be born from fear? Do you think God's ever afraid? All right, it's time for me to pipe in. Because <laughs> I leaned over and I whispered to Callie, I wish I had said out loud in the car on the way over here what was on my mind because it fits in perfectly with what we're talking about. And that happens almost every time. But uh, what I was thinking about is the power of death is fear. And you're only afraid if you believe that, that, that death can get you. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're persuaded that death has been overcome, then the, the, the power of death is stripped. Yeah. And so you can tell what you're believing at the time if you're in fear. <laughs> if you're in fear, you just be, need to be reminded that death has been overcome, and then perfect love casts out that fear. And uh, there is a scripture in the Bible that talks about how people walking by Satan and they're saying, that's the one we're afraid of. <laughs> you know, I'm paraphrasing. But they're looking at him like this little puny imp as opposed to, you know, the, the, the ruler of this world that, that <laughs> can mess you up. <laughs> uh, it fits in perfectly with what I was thinking on the way over here, that the power of death has been removed. Yeah. Yeah. For the individual, only if you're informed of the truth. Yeah. Otherwise, you're still under it. Yeah, you're still under the, the fear. And it doesn't mean you're going to get to the place where you never feel pressed in by fear again. Because you're always going to know death isn't right. Yes. And if you encounter things that you find to be consistent with death, you can feel a weakness in your mortal body. Sure. The mortal body can feel weakness. doesn't matter how much you know on the inside. Mm -hmm. Your mortal body can feel weak. Right? And you don't judge yourself when you feel that weakness. Like Paul said, when he felt the weakness, it became a reminder to him that the excellency was of God and not of himself. And so what that meant was he no longer judged himself for feeling weak. He no longer judged that strength was absent when he felt weak. But rather, he had this judgment that the strength or the power behind my life is God. And so when he felt the weakness, he began connecting with God in the life that was in God. Because he realized the sufficiency behind his life was God. And not whether he felt strong or whether he felt weak. And do you know what would end up happening as you did that? You would find the strength of God manifesting in you. The strength of God is actually made manifest in the midst of your mortal body feeling weak. Or in the midst of you acknowledging this mortal body is weak. This mortal body doesn't have the ability to produce life. This mortal body doesn't have the ability to clothe upon me with life. And the moment you acknowledge that, the strength of God or the grace of God begins animating you. Right? It says on the cross that the weakness of God is stronger than the strength of men. And the reason it's called the weakness of God is because Jesus is God. How many of you think he looked strong on the cross? How many of you think he looked like mighty God? I mean, David also didn't look like he was very strong. When he came to take out Goliath, did he? I mean, Saul's like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm reading into the scriptures having thought about it so much. You know, Saul's kind of like, well, maybe this is a good thing. We'll let David go out there. He'll get taken out and my, my reign will be more secure because the people are loving David. So Saul tries to give David his armor. And David's like, nah, bro, I got this. You're talking about a little bitty dude, David. Right? The world despised David. He was the weak. 
according to the world. He wasn't the strong. Goliath was the strong according to the world. And then the weak according to the world went out and did what to the strong according to the world? Decapitated him. Yep. So to Thomas's point, the devil that everybody thought was so powerful and strong, all of a sudden it's like, that's who we were afraid of? It's the same thing with Goliath. All of Israel was scared of Goliath. Little bitty David goes out there, slays Goliath, and cuts off his head. Do you think any of them were scared of Goliath anymore? And so there's mighty God on the cross, confounding our wisdom. Right? You guys' view of what's mighty and what's weak is perverted. Right. It's perverted because death has entered the world and now fear has permeated your thoughts and exactly. now all of your thoughts about what's strong and what's weak or what's life and what's death is born from fear. Right? right? And so now God demonstrates right, that even the weakness of God is greater than the strength of man. Amen. Right? <laughs> yeah. The power of man to bring death into the earth is nothing in comparison to the weakness of God manifested to remove that death. And what that means is, how many fingers do you see God lifting to conquer death? All he had to do was let it come into himself. I'll just sit here and absorb it into myself. And I'll absorb it into myself knowing there's a life in me that will swallow death up. As it's absorbed into myself. Mm -hmm. Right? And then we start jiving with that. And so I say this to everybody, right? If you're being pressed in on by fear, or if what you're being led to do in life is born from fear, that's your first indication that you ain't thinking with God. Mm -hmm. That's your first indication that what you're thinking has been born from below and not from above. The wisdom from above is first peaceable. That means it calms you, right? It tames the fear or the angst or the anxiety in you. And so there's no shame if we feel pressed in on by fear, but it's, it's, we want it to be an indication to sit and start connecting with God, right, about life. Allowing our thoughts, to our souls to be restored back to peace before we start making decisions <laughs> and before we start doing things. Right? Now, you, you can find your soul restored and find the desire to still go do whatever it was. That, that's a possibility. But you rather want to let your soul be restored. People contact me all the time and ask me, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? Do you know what I never do? I never tell them what they should do. I never tell them what they should do because it contradicts living from the heart. How do I know what the desire in their heart actually is? How do I know what God might be saying to them? And I don't say I can't get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And no, but the, that's not how you lead people. Do you know what I'm going to do with them? I'm going to get the fear out of the way. Yeah. Lack, if you're feeling lack. You never want your decisions to be made from the lack you feel. Right. Because the moment you start making decisions born from lack, you're making decisions born from death. And now death is the father of what you're doing instead of life. Right? And so you first get rid of the lack with God, and that just means hanging out with God. You first let God cleanse your conscience from fear, cleanse your conscience from lack, and then you can see clearly. And once you can see clearly, guess what happens? You know the way to go. Nobody has to tell you the way to go. It's like an ordering of your steps. No one has to come and tell you where your steps should go. You're just following after life. Because now you see life and you're going after life. You're walking in the steps of life instead of walking in the steps of death. Does everybody understand how that works? 
And so we spend so much time thinking about how I need to know the right decision. I need to know this. I need to know that. You know the wisest thing, the, the platform from where you can make the wisest decisions? It's the platform for being filled with peace and love and joy and kindness and meekness and patience. Yeah. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. And you find you don't need to intellectually understand all the different things you need to do or not do. Because a heart filled with the fruit of the Spirit, guess what it will always be walking in? The life of our Lord. Because it is the life of our Lord. And so that's, see, that, that, that contradicts the carnal mind. And people struggle with that. I mean, people see it better now, but in the past people have asked me, why don't you preach more practical messages? <laughs> and I, on the inside I would you just... You can't get any more practical than what you just you said. Know. No, I, I know. And on the inside I would laugh because I, I would understand because no one's been more carnal than me, right, in my life. And so I understand that sentiment. But I've since been removed from that. And actually, I'm preaching the most practical thing it is, but it isn't practical to the carnal mind. Because the carnal mind wants to be told what to do. Yeah. Right? God don't function like that. God rather comes and gives birth to himself in you, meaning he gives birth to his life in you. And now, us. your heart becomes filled with abundance. And you live out of the abundance of your heart. Yeah. And that's walking in wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right? And anything that's contrary to wisdom would be born out of a heart filled with fear and lack. Yeah, what, what did God ever do that didn't come out of let us? That's right. That's exactly right. Hey, Greg, can I say something about when you, when you yeah. gave the example of um, that God's life is so big, like he could just take the death into himself and swallow it up. Like it reminded me of how, you know, when we see our kid or a friend suffering, like we want to take it off of them. Yeah. And so that's so much what it reminded me of. And I guess I... When I made it in a human-to-human picture in my mind, it's like, oh, that's what he did. Yeah. He saw the, our suffering and he wanted to take it away, and he just took it on like we want to. Yeah. Right. You know, we're like, I wish I could take that off of you. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And to use Bertie's example from when he was here, the forgiveness of sin is the lifting of a weight off of a person. Right? And that's the dynamic we feel. When we see people suffering at the hands of death, we want so badly to lift that off of them. And we get that from God. God saw us suffering under the weight of death. And do you know what the suffering under the weight of death is? It isn't just that you feel tormented. It's that you're carrying the weight of trying to produce life. Yes. And so God come and lifted off of us the weight of death, the weight of producing life by conquering death in the flesh and giving us life. And he lifted that weight. And I'm, I'm so glad you bring that up because you know one of the greatest temptations that we're tempted with? To carry the weight of other people's suffering. Yes. Yeah. Because we don't like it. And, and, and we struggle with the how do we wrestle with we don't like it. We tend to like use our carnal mind. Well, we don't like that they're suffering, right? So either we're going to get in there and try to fix their suffering or we're going to like be indifferent to it. That's how we try to deal with it. Neither of those is born from God. Do you know how you help somebody that's suffering? You don't come and now try to fix their suffering. You point them to the one who has lifted off of them the weight of death, right? And you show them Jesus with them, having taken our cross onto himself. We see Jesus, the Son of Man, carrying the cross. And I think it's Simon you see come and lift up the cross and carry it for him. Listen, man, Jesus came and carried our cross, just like Simon carried his. And when we see somebody suffering under the weight of death, under the weight of trying to produce life, we know that Jesus came and took that weight on himself. He came and took their cross onto himself. And that's how we would help them. You walk with them. You don't take the burden of trying to fix them or stop their suffering 
or make it right. The moment you do that, you're living like Adam. And now you're under the same burden and weight they are. We come and speak comfortably to one another. Like God said, speak comfortably to my people. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak comfortably to them. Tell them their warfare has been accomplished. Whereas death was burdening them and they were carrying a heavy weight of trying to produce life. Tell them that I have superabounded over that death and I have lifted that weight off of them and I have given them the life that they're longing for. And that will comfort them in their affliction. Right? And so it's a godly thing for it to bother you when people are afflicted. But recognize that the evil one is there tempting you to now try to fix it or produce life in it. You can't. Those are the two greatest temptations. The first one, to take up your own life. The second one is what you feel when you see your loved ones walking in death. And what are you going to do about it? That's what the devil's saying to you. What are you going to do about it? Death isn't right. The, the devil, listen man, the reason why he's so deceiving is because he's got something to work with. He don't even have to tell us death isn't right. We already believe it. That's why it's so deceiving when he comes and says, do something about it. Because we're already functioning with death is wrong. Why do you think it's so easy for Adam to be confused and think he needs to clothe himself? It's not right to be naked. Right? And so recognize that about yourselves and recognize we're not ignorant of the devices of the serpent anymore. And we actually know what can comfort them. And so we walk with people according to the knowledge of the Son of God, not according to the knowledge of good and evil, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we're walking with people according to the knowledge of good and evil, we're going to get up in there and try to clothe them with our strength. Mm -hmm. You can't clothe anyone. You can't. You can't keep anyone's nakedness from being uncovered. You can't remove anybody's affliction. You can't. Only God can. Right? The good news for you is you know God can. You know he has. You know he is. You know he will. And now you connect with God. You get that subverting that you feel out of you. Right? You be restored first. And now you could be of help to the person by walking with them. Yeah. I mean, Michelle could testify to this. But my mom, listen, it bothers me when people hurt. People want to know why I take what I say so seriously. It isn't semantics. It isn't because I want people to agree with me. It's because I see people suffering and it bothers me. And I know the only thing that can help them is the truth. I got that from my mom. My mom cannot stand it. Should anyone feel any pain? It bothers her. She was conditioned that should anyone feel any pain, it's her responsibility to fix it. Do you know who taught her that? The devil worshipers. And so I watched my mom hurt over people hurting. And I watched her try to fix it. It was to the degree that there's five of us kids. When she would open up a cereal box, they used to have toys in the cereal box. Well, one of us would get the toy. Well, what do you think the other four felt? It bothered her so bad that the other four felt pain over not having the same toy, she would go to the store and buy four more cereal boxes. Just to get the toy. So we can all have the toy. And so I know what it feels like to be bothered over people hurting. In fact, the most difficult part of ministry for me, the, the struggle for me, is I tend to carry the weight too much. Yeah. 
It takes right. me a while. I know enough to where I don't try to get in there and fix it, but it wears me down sometimes, right? Because I struggle to sit with people in their hurt and then walk away and not be twisting on it all the time. Their pain, their suffering, right? But listen, understand that. Understand the voice of the serpent and the temptation. And the reason we say continuously hear the gospel, the reason we say listen to the messages, come to the Bible studies, ask questions, Listen to worship. Talk with God. It isn't a religious exercise. It isn't because these are the things we should be doing. And if you do them, then God will be very happy. It's all about just connecting with the presence of God that's already there. Right? It's like walking in the cool of the day with God. It's just meeting with God who has in himself the life and the comfort and the mercy and the grace that you need. Right? It's being reminded that when you encounter situations that need mercy, that need grace, that need comfort, that need life, God has it. He's in me. You know, it's also very comforting is uh, to be reminded that uh, death is not the last word. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that the only true word about your life is Christ. Yes. Yep. Those are uh, two things that has been that have been uh, repeated here that have helped me and it, it's easy to share that with someone when you're convinced of it and it, it does comfort people I think Actually, yeah. because uh, I think uh, death wants you to believe that death is final <laughs> yep yeah. and uh, sure does. it's really like a door you go through mm-hmm. it's not final yeah I I, I uh, I was talking to I was talking to Erica Galat. Some of you might remember her. Her and her her husband Alan and their their two kids came and stayed here for a while. And I was talking to her. Tax season's here. And she said she was talking to somebody, and they said the only two sure things in life are death and taxes. A lot of us have heard that, right? Yeah. right. And, and and Erica, you know, God bless her. She's really, you know been touched she's been deeply impacted by God and and the life he has in himself she said well I don't know if that's true I think the only thing that's sure is eternal life <laughs> exactly <laughs> awesome. right and you see how that that just starts flipping the script and to Thomas's point that's why Paul would come and say we don't grieve as the world grieves notice he didn't say we don't grieve right yeah because a lot of times we we try to interpret the gospel with the carnal mind we hear us talking so much about how life is greater than death and, and how Jesus, even on the cross, was filled with peace and love and joy. Those things are true. But then the enemy will come and try and accuse us with anything he can. He'll try to tell us, well, you're not supposed to ever feel tormented. Right. Thou shalt not grieve. Thou shalt not grieve. Thou shalt not be upset. Thou shalt not be weak. Thou shalt not hurt. Which, which isn't the point. Paul didn't say we don't grieve. He says we will grieve because we'll always know death isn't right. But in the place of grieving, we're not as the world because we know that death has been overcome. And to Thomas's point, we know death isn't the final say. Death isn't the final word. Life is the final word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the final word. God's word is the final word. Jesus is the word of God. Him stepping out of the grave, never to be able to die again. Stepping out of the grave, possessing a body made from the dust of the ground that can never taste death or weakness or be touched by sin or death ever again as the word about the creation that is actively being brought forth. The word about the life that is actively being brought forth in us. That's the final word. Right? And so in the place of death, touching us, 
right? You don't like it. I cry every time. I mean, I go and do funerals. I mean, I did a funeral recently for this dear sister that had been listening to us for years. I never even got to meet her. We emailed a couple of times, and she ended up passing away. And so I didn't know any of the family members. I never met the husband. He contacted me out of the blue. Listen, man, it was a struggle for me to do that woman's funeral. Like, I literally felt like, how can I even get up there and talk, right? You feel this thing in your stomach where you're just like, and Jay, at, at, at your mother's funeral, if it wouldn't have been for you standing up and being so composed, I, I, I would have had a problem there. If you would have gotten all like, okay, that would have been it for me. And I would have been like, <laughs> trying to get rid of that, that knot, yeah. right? And yeah. it's, it's, it's a knowing. Don't judge yourself for feeling death isn't wrong. Right. Don't judge yourself for feeling grief. Don't judge yourself for feeling weakness. There's nothing wrong with you because you feel those things. It's not a sign there's something wrong with you. It's not a sign you're in unbelief. It's not a sign that you haven't made any progress. Mm. Right? There is no progress report with God. Amen. The end destination is to just be walking with God. That's it. Yeah. Well, there's times where you can be walking with God, you can feel grief, you can feel weakness, you can feel discouraged. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. Jesus felt discouraged. Right? So don't judge yourself for feeling those things. The point is that we've got to get to the place where we don't feel those things. We're listening so we can never feel those things again. No, we're listening so we can be acutely aware of the presence of God when we feel those things. Yes. Right? right? And so that we find ourselves crying out to the one who can save us when we need to be saved. Not just at the end or to not go to hell or, so we can go to heaven or to not enter into the grave so we could walk in the new heaven and the earth. It's a day-by-day -day thing that we're in need of life. We're in need of mercy and grace and comfort and compassion. And the gospel and the hearing of the gospel is meant to bring us to the place that when we feel those things day by day, we find something in our hearts where we say, Abba! Yeah. Right? Because yeah. then what will happen is we'll start bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus. And do you, that doesn't mean a physical dying, like these dudes who go get a, a cross in Mexico and allow themselves to be nailed to it. To bear about the dying of the Lord Jesus in your body means that your flesh becomes afflicted. Right. The affliction of the flesh is that when it encounters lack and death, it is put to rest. Mm. It doesn't work. That's the dying of the Lord Jesus we bear about in our bodies. And Paul says we bear about in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus so that his what might also be made manifest. His life. His life. Yeah. Right? That's why we continuously hear. That's the giving up of the ghost. That's the giving up of the ghost. Yeah. You're, the Adam man is being delivered from you, yeah. right? And the way he's delivered from you isn't by you intellectually deciding. It's by God's presence that is with you becoming more and more like in the center of your eye, Yes. right? Mm -hmm. Whereas before, when you would feel pain or hurt or lack, the, thought, the first thought you might have might be, where's God? The first thought you might have be, I'm so far from life. The first thought you might have is, Oh my goodness. Right? But now the gospel comes and continuously puts God with you in front of your face. To now when you feel hurt, the first thought you have is, the day is coming where it'll look like, well, everyone will scatter for me and it'll look like no one's with me. But the Father is with me. I won't be alone. Right. And that will be your first thought when you encounter pain. Mm -hmm. The Father is with me. The life I need is with me. The comfort I need, the mercy I need, the grace I need is actually present with me in the Father. And oh, by the way, His hand is stretched forth towards me, resting on me to give me those things. 
yeah. right? You know, but like you said before, I liked what you said earlier about that God with me doesn't mean what we think of as with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or is with me. But it means something so much more intimate. Yeah. Too bad we don't have another word. Well, intertwined. No, intertwined, yeah. braided together. Yeah. Yeah. Those are words I like. And, and you're right, Shannon, because even the word with, it, when I say that, I know what I mean. But there's been people that, well, he's not just with us. Yes, I understand, but I also understand what that ancient word means. So I agree oh, with yeah. you. It's just the easiest way for me to say it because it's in the scriptures. But it's an infusing. It's an intertwining. It's a braided together. It says, those who wait on the Lord shall find their strength renewed. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. That waiting on the Lord isn't like waiting in the doctor's office. I said it a million times. It means those who are braided together with the Lord, intertwined with the Lord, right? They're having themselves just completely wrapped into each other. The two shall be made one flesh, right? And that gives us that, to me, that gives me like that. The surety of hope, like I, I may feel like I'm in the dark right now, yeah. but I know the one who's bringing the answer yeah. to me. I know the one who's going to put it in front of my face. That's right. And I can just watch for it. That's and right. Relax. That's powerful. Yeah, that's watch good. for it. It is. Yeah. Because even if I ask everybody this question today, is it okay if you feel like you're in the darkness? How many of you say yes? Yeah. Well, in light of this conversation, yes. we do. But when you're in the middle of the darkness, feeling hurt, right? Is it okay? That you're in the, you feel like you're in the darkness. The gospel comes and tells you it is okay, because of the living hope. Yes. Right. And now you see the living hope in the presence of the darkness. And so the living hope interprets the darkness instead of the darkness interpreting whether or not you have hope. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a powerful, beautiful thing. Right. It's like for me, I never used to think it was okay to feel pain. I remember when God asked me, "Is it okay, Greg, that you're hurting?" No! <laughs> my whole life I've spent trying to keep myself from hurting. <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> I mean, I've, my whole life I believed you're God, but I figured you would understand this. It's not okay. He says, well, I understand that you don't think it's okay. And to Maurice's point from the Wednesday night Bible study, that wasn't an audible voice. This is a thing that's going on in my heart with sure. the Lord. Right. right? That after the fact, I can give shape to Right? Yeah, there's a difference between something being okay and you liking it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Being, <laughs> yeah. it, it being okay, meaning you're not judging yourself for feeling weak. Exactly. Gethsemane. But you sure Jesus don't like it. like it. Jesus yeah. didn't like the nails going through his flesh. No. He didn't like it. No. But it didn't say something about him. Yeah. The, the question, is it okay, is connected to hopelessness or whether you have life or don't have life. It right. isn't connected with well, you should like it. Right. Just go over, dislike it. No, it's not, it's not about that. But is it okay? Meaning is, do you see that I'm greater than what's happening? Right. And that what's happening can't keep you from life? It can't keep you from me? Which is why you think it's not okay. Do, do you Paul see what I'm turns saying? it around so that, so much so the Spirit's effect on his heart, he actually got to the point of, I'll use the term, liking feeling weak because it reminded him of where his strength comes from. That's right. It became a sign to him of yeah. something beautiful. Right. Right? And listen, 
You will get to the place where you rejoice over things you despise before if what it means to you changes. Exactly. You'll despise weakness not because the weakness is so bad. It's because of what you think the weakness means. Exactly. That's why you despise it. Yeah. But the moment the weakness becomes something, a sign of something beautiful to you, you'll stop despising you the weakness. La- you can laugh about it. You can <laughs> laugh about it. Yeah. Right? You know, you know, it's interesting. I, I'd like to go on the other side of... The of depression or fear, and go to the other end of pendulum swing of that where you're just angry, you know, you're you're just you rage at it, um, and to the point of thinking, you know, the scripture that says be angry but sin not. Yeah, my mind would think, okay, I can be angry, but I gotta behave, and I mean now, <laughs> now. Understanding, you know, what I see as sin, it's like, no, I can be angry and expose myself, expose my heart, as you said last week, Thomas, to the light, to the truth. Not expose myself to the darkness, not expose myself to the wisdom of the world. So that can address, again, you know, what you're doing, (laughs) wrestling and toiling with the death that you see. Because that's not okay to handle it that way either. Yeah. I mean, that's not the life of God to be, you know, at that place. No, because the world's anger is also born from fear. Huh? Right? And lack. And death. There's a difference between ang- being angry and righteous indignation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree with your, your, your bringing out of if you feel angry, then connect with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so true, and I'm so glad you brought that out. Just for everybody's understanding, that be angry and sin not is not talking about be mad and sin not. Although what he just said is clearly born from the truth. That, that verse is, is touching on what James would touch on, where he said, The wrath of a man yep. worketh not the righteousness of God. Mm. It's not talking about the anger of a man, mm. right? It's talking about the passion of man to reach out and grab a hold of life himself. Yeah. Mm. Cannot produce the righteousness of God or the fruit of God's life. So Paul is saying something very similar. Be angry and sin sin not. Be filled with the desire for life. It's okay to have a passionate zeal for life, but don't enlist your own strength to try to grab a hold of the life yourself. Yeah. Which which you just said fits in that. But it's a it's a much broader paintbrush than just what we think of when we think of being mad or angry over something. That fits within it because the only reason why you're angry is because you want to see life, you have a passion for life, and you see something or someone doing something that you think is in the way of life. Uh, and that would make you angry. Even if it's, even if you're thinking God's in your way of life. That's right. And you're angry at Him. I think He's actually pleased with you coming to Him with your anger. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. it. Yeah. There's no doubt about it because... Yeah. Which is contrary to what most people would say. Absolutely. You're going to have a passionate zeal for life. God has a passionate zeal for life. So he understands that we could be filled with a passion to have life. But in the place of being filled with a passion to have life, don't look to your own hand to try to gather life to yourself. That's the and sin not part. I remember when I was a little kid, you know what I thought was the power to have life? To win everything all of the time. (laughs) (laughs) To win everything all of the time. To the point that we're playing games at my birthday party. I still haven't played that video for everybody. 
And my little two-year-old sister, my mom, puts me on her team so I could lose some of the games. <laughs> because it wasn't my birthday. It wasn't right for me to win all the games. But no one else thought it was life or death but me. So I'm going to win all the games. <laughs> so she puts me and my little sister. My little sister, we're running these relay races. And one of them is you run with the egg on a spoon. You guys think a little two-year-old is running with an egg on a spoon very good? <laughs> She didn't even start going. And then the egg fell off, and then she just started walking off in the yard to go look at the animals. I'm over there losing my mind. Listen, I was very angry. But the reason why I was angry is because I thought I didn't have what I needed for life. And I thought she was getting in the way of me having it. And then it reached towards my mom. It's my mom who gave me her, so my mom's in the way of me having life. Right? <laughs> and then I became very angry. You can see me acting out on the video. I'm like seven years old. It's hilarious. It's right when they first had the video cameras. Oh my God. But, but you see, I had a passionate zeal for life. And I was sinning. Not in the sense of I'm a bad boy and God despises me. But I, I was ignorant. I didn't understand where life was found. Yeah. And so now I was reaching out to grab a hold of life myself. Yeah. Right? And so that's the context of that verse, be angry and sin not. I know we turn it into, well, if you're married and you feel angry with your spouse, don't ever go to sleep. Oh, God. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. you got to make up before you go to bed. Well, listen, if you think that's a good idea, you can go ahead and do that. That's because you'll kill them. But, <laughs> but don't interpret that verse. When it says, don't let the day dawn, it's, it's talking about don't allow. Like James would talk about, the, he talks about the dynamics of how sin works itself out in a human. He talks about how lust, when it's conceived, then brings forth sin. When it talks about not letting the day dawn, on your anger, what it's talking about is don't let your desire for life be turned into lust. Mm. There's a difference yeah, between yeah. desire and lust. Mm. You can desire life, but the moment you lust after it, now <laughs> lust has been conceived in your heart, and now sin is going to come forth, mm. right? That's yeah. what it's talking about in Ephesians. And then Mo, you're going to put your flesh to You're going to put your arm to the, to the yeah. plow. Yeah. Mm. Right. I was just going to say, you know, it, it's interesting that... Uh, our reaction to the fear of death is anger and and fear. Yeah. You know? And when you are angry and fearful about something, you tend to react yeah. to things. Yeah. Instead of like thoughtfully considering and, and doing the right thing, yeah. you, you find yourself reacting to those things. And when you look at that in the world, you know, the you know the atomic bomb? Is, is the result of man's fear of death. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to conquer their fear of death by protecting themselves with an atomic bomb. Yeah, yeah. And now, now we have atomic bombs pointed at all the countries around us and they pointed at us. Something that could destroy the world. Yeah. And, and, and they are doing it out of a reaction, mm -hmm. a, a, an irrational reaction to, to the, the fear of death. That's right. That's right. It's crazy. And we have a desire for, this is perfect because it fits in this, to be angry and say not. We have a desire for life. We see there's, there's this other thing going on that's trying to bring forth death. And we see that we want that death to be removed. But because we don't connect with God and what he's done to remove the death, now we enlist our own strength. Yeah. We till our own bodies to produce something to deal with the death. And in doing that, what do we produce? More death. More death. Yeah. So that's what happens when, when you enter into somebody else's mess. Because that's the nature of God's to go get in the middle of somebody's mess. That's what he does. Yeah. 
So it produces that in us, right? right. We want to be uh, compassionate towards somebody. We want to help somebody. But going back to something that was said in the beginning, you can't enter into that and then take that burden on to yourself mm-hmm. in that you're going to fix it with your own strength. Mm-hmm. That's what Adam did when he entered into Eve's death. He got busy with the fig leaves and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're constantly looking at Jesus in that he cried out to the one who was able to save him, and he didn't lift one finger to mm-hmm. save himself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's well and good. We ought to be contemplative of that. But one thing we shouldn't miss out on is that when he was doing that, it was because he came and got in the middle of our mess. Yeah. And he didn't lift one finger to save himself or us But Jesus when has, he joined himself to our mess. But Jesus also is just an individual didn't lift one finger. Apart from us, he still wouldn't have lifted one finger. Right, right. Even for his own self. But that's what I'm saying, though. When we go in to help somebody, to be with them, to comfort them because of... We, of what we have inside of us that can produce that, we still should be letting that produce it and not ourselves yeah. producing it. Mm-hmm. The hand of God, right? And the thing about Jesus, when Jesus came to drop an atomic bomb on death, guess what it didn't result in? Any more death. More death. Yeah. Right. Oh, oh, that's good. The wrath of a man worketh not the righteousness of God. That's right. <laughs> Glory to God. So